takes to make a shot at that range. Everything comes into play that far. Humidity, elevation, temperature, wind, spin drift. This is six to ten second flight time, so you have to shoot it where the target's going to be. Even the Coriolis effect, the spin of the earth comes into play. Means be advised. And I mean nasty and tired. I eat Constantino wire and piss napalm. And I can put a round to a flea's ass at 200 meters. 870 yards in closing. Wind, three-quarter value, push to left. I can just shoot women, children! Easy! You just don't lead them so much! This is my rifle, this is my gun! Hey everybody, Tyler here for the Sub MOA Podcast. We appreciate you guys joining us for today's episode. Enjoy. It is Wednesday, September 9th. This is Tyler and I got Jeremy here. Jeremy? What up? What up? So, trying to get this podcast back on schedule. You know, um, I don't know if you get to hear it or not, Jeremy, but for my side... You know, um, I'm still kind of the face of Max Ordnant and everything that we do. And, uh, you know, you become more of a permanent fixture in the podcast that we try to do weekly. Um, but I don't know how much you hear from people if they recognize who you are or if they see it matches and, and talk about the podcast. But, you know, constantly getting uh, feedback and people coming up and saying how much they love the podcast. They love that we, you know, don't give them any bullshit. We keep it straight. We're actually talking about things that they care about. You know, um, it, we just don't ramble on about random shit. And to everybody, well, that's debatable. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, but to, to everybody that comes up to me, you know, I just again super grateful that you guys listen and that every every bit of feedback has been positive except for, you know, whether we got good quality audio, which we're still trying to figure that piece out. I don't know if I'll ever get it figured out, but it's a work in progress. Uh, so again, just thank to everybody who, you know, listens and, and follows and, and, uh, you know, is constantly just trying to improve your game, you know, so that's why we're here and, um, you know, moving forward, a couple things that we want to talk about for this this week is a few matches. Um, one that Jeremy is attending, the other that I'll be now match directing, and uh, yeah, and then uh, we're going to move into a little bit of technique talk, talking about some supportive position stuff. You know, a lot of the things that I push in my classes. Um, you know, I don't know how common knowledge it is, and sometimes it's just hearing it a different way. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, then we're going to cut it off, let you guys have a good week. Hopefully, if you guys haven't heard already, I am doing a last-minute one-day match at my facility in Southern California, uh, Sunday, the 13th. So it'll be a good time. I got the course fire already written out, which we're probably going to talk about because I think, Jeremy, you will, you will like it even though it, it will be a ball buster. Like it's going to kind of, yeah, that's all I can well, say. Well, I'm excited. Let's hear about it. But, uh, so let's start with Utah. I was going to go to the Utah barrel burner match. It's just not in the cards. And mainly it's not in the cards because I am just unprepared. Like 
you know, as you get match after match after match, just rolling. And I just got back from that sniper adventure challenge and it's like, you know, I don't have ammunition loaded. And that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to move away from the 6XC cartridge is because it's not commercially available. And I run into moments like this where there's matches I want to go to that just don't have the ability to load or the time or the components or whatever the case is. Um, yep. You know, I think six Creedmoor is in my future, but you're going to go to the match. So have you been this to the true. before? So, no, I have not. Um, it is quite a ways west of Salt Lake. I think the closest town is called Trimmerton. Oh, wow. Uh, but I have never been up there. I have not even seen photos of the range. So I will be going into this one uh, completely blind. Okay. Um, I have heard of Tremonton. It's, you know, it, I, I'm not sure if it's the same location. You'll have to, you'll have to let me know or shit. I'll have to jump on the you know, Google internet here and see what it says. But do you remember Vortex Extreme back in the day? It was held at the Sniper Golf Facility. Yes. So that's, that's before my time, man. Um, but I have heard stories about that. I think some guys here from Vegas went and shot at that once. And I remember seeing those photos. So, that, uh, but I don't have like firsthand knowledge of it. That is in the Tremonton area. Um, the Vortex Extreme I did back in, I want to say like 2014 or so. Um, and I, man, I'm very curious if that is the actual location for this match. If it is, I'll be interested to see, well, not just, you know, I don't think it's going to go bad, but the way that that facility is lined out, um, there'll be some movement and possibly have to drive or, or hike from stage to stage. And, uh, but man, it's a, it's a pretty cool facility Let's hmm. see here. Northern Utah barrel burner. I think it was it, Blue Something Ranch or Something Blue Ranch. That sounds familiar. I got an email about it. Let me see if I can pull that up without Blue Creek, hanging up on you. Uh, Blue Creek. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Blue Something. Let me see. We literally just got an email about this. Ponies Range, match location, Howell Valley Farm. So I'm That not sounds, yep, that sounds familiar. I'm not thinking it is the same location, but uh, there's actually, there's been a, quite a few shooting places over there. You have the Sniper Golf, which I don't even know if it's in, if it's in operation anymore. And then uh, this was definitely years ago. Um, do you know Deliberate Dynamics? Uh, yes. So Deliberate Dynamics, they used to be in... Uh, I'm pretty sure they were in cahoots with Sniper Country back in the day. And uh, that's over in that same area, just north, northwest of Salt Lake City. I, I don't even know if that facility is going anymore. But, mm. man, there used to be so many cool things in that area. Um, anyways, have you heard anything about the match like people have been there before what to expect is going to be tricky wins like no i so i i did hear um one or two things the thing that stuck out in my mind was i guess somebody got some pictures um uh of like how the stages were going to be laid out and what i mean by that is 
it's you're gonna like walk from stage to stage like you normally do at any match but the stages are only spread out like 20 or 30 yards and it's basically just going to be one continuous firing line um and you just pack your shit up and move 20 yards go shoot the next stage pack your shit up um that's what i heard and then i also saw a photo of a target array and it looked like just a like your regular t-post okay uh or or t-hanger so two targets one on each side and I had heard it was like, hey, the targets are going to be one and a half MOA and then one MOA. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a small target match. And that person said that there were uh, no berms behind the targets. So if oh. you miss, like, you're just going to miss, man. Good luck figuring out where you missed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm a... Uh, I'm taking a gas gun. Okay. So yeah, yeah I'm gonna. What caliber you running? Six five. Okay. All right. I'm gonna take that Knights SR twenty five. No, uh, no particular reason other than I just want to do it. I've always said that I shoot an NRL match with a gas gun, um, and why not this one? So also, I have no six X C ammo loaded. Perfect. <laughs> See, you know. <laughs> I knew there was a underlying reason, but just curious, yeah. the scope that you're using, um, what, uh, is that Collis? Yep. Three to 18. Any specific reticle? Uh, it's got the skimmer three in it. Okay. So skimmer three, six, five, three more gas gun. Um, you know, it's times like this, man, where I just, I still wish that there was a gas gun component to the NRL. Um, yep. you know, um, it's I'm not saying that it can't be done. I've seen it done, but you know, a bolt gun compared to a gas gun is, is it is a different class. You know, there's a different weight, there's a different feel, different recoil, everything is different. And, yeah. um, you know, it I mean, just, I know they do it, they do it in PRS. You can just they've yep. got a gas gun division. You know, you shoot the same course fire as the bolt gun guys, but shoot with gas gun. Yeah. So I, I think it brings out people that have those systems that want to push their limits or you know or you know you just want you, you want to make it worth it these matches aren't cheap they're not inexpensive you know they, it costs money to go to them to pay for the registration so you know if there was the ability to shoot a gas gun and not all be lost i think it'd be beneficial and i think shooters would come out and actually give it a shot yeah but, so, i'm gonna i'm gonna see how it goes i mean my last match i ended up uh, Colorado match, I've squeaked out like third place overall. I have uh, zero expectations for this match. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually like, uh, like I'm apprehensive that I am shooting uh, a gas gun, but I'm also strangely relaxed because I honestly, I, I do not care how I finish. I'm going to have fun and shoot a gun that I enjoy shooting and uh, to shoot with all of my Sin City teammates. There's like five or six of us on the same squad. So it's going to be like a giant party with guns. Nice, man. Just uh, so you're, you're talking about running the Knights Armament gun. Is it just run me through the setup? You got the Collis 3 to 18 on there. You're running the Skimmer 3 reticle. Uh, yep. No, it's chambered in 6.5 Creedmoor, but. Yep. You know, so it, it is. Um, it is a box stock SR 25. So you can't get the full gun from Knights mm -hmm. yet, 
but you can buy the upper and drop it onto a, a night's lower. So I have a stock SR2565 upper. It's 22 inch barrel, uh, like 17 ish inch M lock rail. Okay. Um, stock SR25 lower with the stock trigger, the stock controls. I put a Magpul, you know, a MEAD grip, Magpul stock, and it's got some Magpul rail covers. Then I've got two uh, like Arca plates. I've got a, I think it's an eight inch plate in the back uh, towards the receivers. Yep. Where I will mount, you know, a tripod or a bag, right? And then I also threw a little four inch chunk up towards the front of the rail because my Skypod is a Arca clamp. I don't have the pick rail clamp yet and I want to use that bipod. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got obviously the call scope um, and a nice mount. And what is in that lower? I'm sorry? What trigger is in that lower? The Knights, Knights two-stage combat non-adjustable trigger. So it's um, it's like four and a half pound, five pound total pull weight. Nice, man. I'm just um, listening to that. Dude, I mean, so not only do I want to go shoot a gas gun, but I'm a cop, right? I want yeah. to do stuff that is relevant to my job. And this is literally a gun that I could walk off of uh, the range from a competition and take it straight out onto a call. Like, there's there's no gamer shit on this gun at all. Wait a minute, you're a cop? Holy shit. Uh, no idea. Yeah, you know, but, you know. I don't know if we're do some, anymore. Do some cop stuff here and there. So... <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, dude, that's badass. Um, I, I can relate to the trigger and I was definitely curious if you had, uh, thrown on any type of M-lock, uh, Arca rail, you know, to compensate for, or to accommodate the tripod and the, in the, um, you know, the bipods. Uh, I don't think, you know, people who haven't used them and I get, I often have to remind myself a lot you know, when new gear comes out to be open-minded, because I might like a piece of gear, you know, for a long time, you know, Harris was the fucking bee's knees, uh, Harris bipods, and then Atlas, and then, you know, like, you, you get used to, or you like something, and then you see something new comes out, and it may pique your interest, or at the same time, it might be one of those things where you're like, oh, that's just, you know, that's just extra bullshit that I don't need, and, yep. you know, Dude, when the when the Skypods first came out, I got to see them as a prototype, and uh, I thought they were cool, but I wasn't like, oh man, you know, that's just I, I fucking need that. And I saw people using them, I saw them, you know, become more and more popular, and then I got one. And then hindsight being twenty twenty, looking back, it's like you just you for my speaking from personal experience, I didn't actually take the time to look and say, you know, what are all the benefits of this, this bipod? So, you know, for anybody out there, that's kind of on the fence. I mean, there's a reason that how many, what would you say the percentage is of, let's just say the top 50% shooters in both leagues, NRL, PRS, how many, how many of the top 50% would you say are running Skypod? Oh, I would say at least 75%. Okay. I mean, there's a reason that one, 75% of everybody's running it. And two, that it's sold out in every freaking place that you can try and buy it. Yep. Because everybody loves yep. it. Um, you know, they get different leg heights, shit like that. So, you know. So I have a funny, funny experience or funny story with these guys. Um, I got a Sky, Skypod like pretty early in their existence, I would say. Yeah. Um, 
It was actually given to me by, so thank you, unanimous or uh, unnamed buddy. Uh, and I played with it for a little while and I was not impressed. I was like, you know, this thing has a lot of adjustability, but it was super loose. Like the parts did not fit well together and yeah. I did not feel stable at all. So like, you know, shooting prone hundred yards, trying to do low development or, you know, like work on prone stuff. I just, I didn't feel stable. I, I could shoot noticeably better groups with uh, my Atlas bipod and even, you know, like the old Harris's basically I thought the bipod sucked. Now yeah. I could see the advantages in a field match where you need to quickly deploy bipod in unconventional positions off of like weird natural terrain. Yeah. Um, it could do stuff that other bipods could not, but when it came to just being a bipod, I thought it was atrocious. So I left it in my bag for Jesus, the better part of a year and never fucking used it. <laughs> and uh then one day i pulled it out of the bag and one of the legs fell off and i was like what a fucking piece of shit and i grabbed the leg and i realized that it fell off because the retaining screw had you know backed all the way out so then i checked the other retaining screw on the other leg and lo and behold that shit was super loose too yeah but once i tightened those screws down that bipod became an amazing piece of equipment. Yep. So it turns out that when the bipod was given to me, the legs might have just not been as tight as they should have been, and my dumb ass didn't check. So I assumed that that looseness was just how they were. Um, and basically, I wasted nine months out of my life. Yeah. So I mean, now it's the only bipod I use. There's some, there's some adjustments on there, and you can – check them you can put loctite on them uh but there's some other ones you know like in terms of the tilt left to right tilting or the pan function you know you can yep. tighten those down or you can make them super loose um you know but yeah i mean i've had the same screws walk out on me and uh, you know i don't i don't know i don't know if it's a mdt thing or or what it is but i've I've just gotten accustomed to damn near anything that I buy. I have to go through and, you know, make sure screws are tightened down the way that I want them. You know, you just, you got a good product, but you don't really know who is behind it. You know, who, who's, who is, uh, that young minimum wage worker putting these together, you know, like, uh, at some point, you just got to go through and double check your own fucking gear, right? Yeah. Was it a was it a bipod assembled? You know, Monday morning at eight thirty, or was yeah. it a bipod assembled Friday afternoon at four forty five? You know, so you know. And that's not a dig at anybody. That's just how the world works, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to got to check your shit, man. So, but uh, all right. So you got your gas gun and running the Arca rails. Um, any particular buttstock? Uh, the Magpul SL. Yes. So that's their newer buttstock that has like uh, the storage in the back. It's got a little bit better cheek weld, I think. Also, uh, lets you balance the rifle. You can put weights in those um, storage cells. So I okay. got the rifle balanced out pretty good. You could th I usually throw batteries or like uh, rolled pennies or, or nickels or whatever the fuck will fit back there. I think right now I've just got some 123s in there. Okay. I'm looking but, at uh, it's, uh, yeah. It, I mean, it's 
it's Remember not this? anything it's not a gamer stock it comes standard on most higher end like factory ars now yeah so no it looks good so, so outside of outside of the rifle with your mlock anything else are you running suppressed no, this match I am not. Usually I do, but this match I'm trying to give myself every advantage possible. So I'm gonna take, uh, I'm gonna shoot bare muzzle. I'm gonna shoot braked. Okay. All right. Any weight issues? Like not issues, but balancing? No, no. I've got the rifle is actually set up pretty nice. Okay. Um, it's it's definitely for a gas gun. Like it's pretty long. You know, 22 inch barrel is is longer than most. Um, but when you put that weight there in the in the stock, I mean, I can throw it up on a barricade just like my bolt gun, and it will stay put where I want it. It's just a little bit lighter. Yeah. Well, dude, when you're working with gas guns, I mean, the thing that I love about gas guns, all the gas gun courses that we run, you know, whether it's for law enforcement or it's for civilians, is it's not that you can't be rough with your bolt gun, but there's just certain things that you – you can't do with the bolt gun that you can do with the gas gun, particularly around where that magwell is at, right? Being able yep. to jam or bind or, you know, put that rifle in certain positions where it just locks up and it's such a stable position that you find yourself in. Whereas with your bolt gun, you typically can't put the same amount of pressure on your magazine that you would with your, with your gas gun. Yeah, without inducing feeding malfunctions. Yeah, or some kind of some kind of weird issue, right? Um, but, and I don't know if you've had this issue. I doubt you'd be running the gas gun if you had this. But this is something for uh, everybody out there. If you have aspirations of running a gas gun, you're going to come to the gas gun beatdown in Vegas this December, or if you go to another gas gun match, right? But there's something that you have to check, all right? And you might like the bolt carrier, you might like the upper receiver, low receiver, you might like everything about this rifle, but the one area, right, that could be weak is how the handguard attaches to the gun. And if there's a weak connection there, if the barrel nut is not a strong connection, then as you start to apply force to that handguard, you're gonna start to shift your point of impact downrange because you are actually flexing that barrel. Have you seen that before? Yep. I've seen it on just about every gas gun that I've played with, with the exception of this one. Yep. I mean, you've really got to have a good, solid barrel nut that actually connects to the receiver and doesn't have a whole lot of influence on the barrel. Yep. Uh, you know, and I, and I have seen the same exact thing. I mean, we just had a law enforcement uh, course where we had a, a department come out with 10 of their guys and they're running some gas guns and one of the gas guns is not like the other and it just so happens that you know if he would load into the bipods too hard or if he would you know apply downward pressure with his left hand on some type of supportive position then he's shifting that point of aim and now he's like what the fuck my dope's not lining up you know something's wrong and you know it took some trial and error to replicate those those issues but it is a problem that you should be aware of. You need to know your weapon system, your gun, and how it's going to react to uh, to the pressures and, and shit like that it, you apply to it. Yep. So keep that in mind. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it is a problem. 
Um, you just, you know, you just have to know about it. You can mitigate that issue easily. Just don't touch fucking handguard, you know, yeah. or, or don't put pressure on it. So, yeah, and that, uh, that was what we came to, you know, the conclusion we came to. It's like, well, dude, just, uh, you know, don't do what it was that you were doing that caused this issue. Like, yeah. You know, so it's kind of understanding that and, and how to work around it. You know, it's it's not any different than having a bolt gun where if you apply pressure to the magazine, then you get the bolt that binds, right? You can't yeah. go forward. And it's like, yep. well, you know about the problem. So what are you going to do? I'll do it. I'll <laughs> do it, right? Or you have to work around that specific issue. It's the same thing. So uh, it's just it's just knowing it. But um man i don't know anything else like i know you're you're pretty particular when it comes to like your bags um anytime i've seen you run a gas gun you've been pretty straightforward on like i'm gonna run this bag but yeah. tricorn that's it yeah i mean your tricorn bag and other than that you still running the backbone for the uh, coltac tricorn yep got the backbone um i will also take the little flat bag too yeah just just in case i mean why not especially if um you know this sounds like it's going to be a match where there's not a whole lot of movement between stages so you could pack heavy and not be uh feel like exhausted yeah so i'll probably take that little flat bag uh, but that's it man that's it I'm take so, i am going to take some extra magazines you know magazines are the weak link in any gas gun oh definitely i was so, just going to bring that up as far as magazines like i'm a dude who you know, anytime we look at a stage, if we get read a stage brief or shit like that, like there's several things that go through my mind, which, you know, the first one for me is always, is this stage going to uh, allow me to dial or is it a holding stage, right? And then I go through the rest of my process, but there's always a portion of the stage brief or where I'm evaluating what I'm going to do, where I start thinking about it, I don't know if it, the right word is problems that I'm going to come across or things that might happen like, oh, you know, if I don't watch my step, I might trip over this or, you know, how is my rifle going to react to this barricade? And one of the things that you have to think about with your gas gun is your magazine and how yep. long it is and is it going to get in the way? So are you taking different size mags? So like I'm going to take, I'm probably going to take five twenties and uh, two tens. Okay. All right. So, so yes, the short answer is yes. I'm going to take multiple links. It's, you know, it's stuff that's got to be considered, man. It's, it's, you know, every advantage or every disadvantage you want to try and limit that. And I think magazines on a gas gun are definitely one of those, you know? Yep. So not all mags are created equal. That's very true. So, yep. Um, I'm going to run the Knights armament mags, which are fucking pricey, but they work. But they 100% work. of the time, every time. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. Um, last thing on your gas gun excursion up to Utah. As far as a bolt gun is concerned, like I go to a match, depending on the, you know, the location and what the environment was like, okay, um, 99% of the time I'll pull my bolt out. I'll wipe it down. I'll wipe the inside of the action down and, uh, you know, probably run something through the chamber. But 
you know, there's times where it's such a clean mesh or, you know, I just don't want to fuck with anything and I don't touch it. Right. But the gas gun is a different setup because this is, a, this is a direct impingement, right? Yep. So with the direct impingement system, you've got a gas operated system. Are you cleaning this thing after day one? Ooh. Well, I'm going to have there. I'm sure there's going to be people that are going to call bullshit, but I'm not going to fucking touch it, dude. Nice. Um, so my, my like lube of choice, uh, yep. is this, this synthetic grease called cherry bombs. Most people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, in my experience, people that hate it, uh, don't know how to apply it correctly, but I have had nothing but stellar success using that stuff. Literally like thousands of rounds in between applications or cleaning and guns just continue to run. So um, AR-15 slash AR-10 has a dust cover. Yeah, I plan on using that dust cover. So I'll get like a, a, a magwell flag to put in it, keep the dust cover closed. When I'm shooting the stage, I have a like a brass catcher that is covering the ejection port. So even if we've got shitty weather, it's going to keep the gun pretty clean. I'm not shooting suppressed, so uh, that is going to help keep that gun running. But no, short answer to your question is I'm not going to fucking touch it, man. All right, cool. That that gun has um, this barrel. This is my second barrel. Uh, this barrel is sitting at like 750 rounds. The first barrel was uh, well over 1500. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so probably 2,500 rounds of 6.5 through this gun, not a single malfunction. So I, I should probably find a piece of wood to knock on, but <laughs> the gun just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And I'm going to run it, you know, I'm not going to baby it. Like I said, this is, I don't want to call it a work gun because it is, uh, I do not, it's not my duty rifle, but it could be my duty rifle. And I'm going to treat it like a, like a duty gun. I'm just going to fucking shoot it. I like it, man. I think next week when we chat again, uh, we'll have some some shit to talk about in terms of how it performed. Did you have any issues, you know, like were they shooter-induced? Was it, you know, a, a dirty thing? Like, you know, so definitely have to revisit it next week just to see how it went. Yeah, I'm in. From there. So the other match that I want to talk about is the Guardian – um, precision rifle match and they have several of them around the country have you been to one before i have been to a couple yes yes okay. yes so you know aside from the the good nature of the guardian giving to you know youth and uh, helping foster kids things of that nature um, the unique part about the match is that the first day is a solo competition the second day is a team style event where you partner based on how you finish. So the top shooter partners with the, with the lowest shooter and, and, you know, you just, you're there to have a good time. There's not really any prizes to be won. Um, you know, speaking with Brittany and, and Gary and hearing about the match, and how they they have some prizes set up. There's more of like a, a silent auction that takes place during the dinner, and, and uh, you know, so so they have that. And then you have trophies for the for the winners, which you know everybody appreciates trophies if if that's you know what you're there for. So, um, 
the reason I bring the match up is I am now the match director for the what? Yeah, man. So for the Arizona Cowtown match at the end of October, um, you know, I got asked if I could fill in for match director who had to step out. And I think it's for a good cause. So I wanted to, you know, obviously I want to help out. So I have that weekend available. I was already planning on being there because I'm running uh, the afternoon portion of the uh, train up day on Friday. Now is Kelby's involved in that train up some way, somehow too? Yep. So Kelby's is running the morning portion. Okay. So there's two different train ups that day. You'll have Kelby's in the AM and myself in the PM. It might be subject to change depending on how Kelby's flight uh, works out. But uh, so yeah, two, two different train up, uh, you know, portions. And uh, there's also a, uh, a small precision rifle expo being put on by Sean Utley of uh, Ballistic Precision Magazine. Okay. So companies out there, you can come and, and try out different rifles and different gear and actually get your hands on some stuff. So it's not like they got a pretty cool event happening on Friday. And then Saturday, Sunday is the match. So I've been looking through the stages and just seeing if there's any things that I want to change from the previous match director or add. And uh, everything looks really good right now. And one of the things that I'm tasked with as the match director, and it's not just me solo, I have Ray, uh, aka Nine Dolls, who is the co-match director. She's actually the one oh, that convinced boy. me to, uh, to, to, to do this, you know. So we're both kind of involved here. And um, aside from the stages and make sure everything runs smoothly, you know, I have to get my ass down to Arizona now. Uh, a couple times, actually. I want, one, I need to make sure we got ranges, distances are correct, set up targets, make sure everything's painted. Um, but, you know, you and I have talked so many times about different matches. Some matches are run really well. Some matches are not run, you know, up to our liking or there was issues that were had and yada, yada, yada. So I don't want to be um, – you know, the next match that we have to talk about where, you know, I'm talking shit on myself because something went wrong or I didn't listen to things that we brought up in the past. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I want to make sure that I run every single stage that it's not too difficult. It's capable of being done. You know, it's not, you know, targets aren't too small. Time limit's not too short. Um, you know, it's not a stage where, you know, it's something that is like, you know, I've been to stages where it's like, you want me to do what? And then you do it. And it's like, okay, I know damn well, nobody pre ran this stage to make sure it yep. was something that it was done, uh, capable of doing. So I want to make sure I run the match myself, make sure everything's kosher, good to go. And I don't have any crazy stages out there. Uh, but the other thing that we've always talked about was ROs. And, you know, this is a call to everybody out there right now that we do need ROs for this match. And I'm looking, we have 10 stages per day. And what I'd like to have is 20 ROs, two for every stage, you know, but being as this is a different type of match um, because nobody's getting paid, right? The people who run the match don't get paid. All the money gets donated for kids who are in need and foster families, things of that nature. Um, so, you know, all of the talking I've done in previous podcasts talking about RO should be paid and et cetera. Um, you know, this match is just not the match for that. But it doesn't mean that I want to leave the ROs 
out the dry. So I've already got uh, my letter together. I've got a few companies that are already on board. But the whole idea, Jeremy, is that if you volunteer to RO for me at this match, um, then hopefully, and I can't say for sure if it'll be a complete capability to build a rifle, but you will have enough enough certificates given to you as a volunteer RO that you could build your own rifle at 50%, and that's including the optic. So Damn. your chassis, your trigger, your barrel, your action, your bipods, your scope, I'm talking like every single piece of this rifle. If there's If you already have a rifle and there's some parts in there that you want to just nitpick out of your packet, that's fine. But my goal by October 31st is that every RO is going to be taken care of in terms of industry partners being able to give ROs discounts to put together a rifle at half the cost. So good on you, man. Nice work. Well, I got to put my fucking money where my mouth is, right? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, just trying to live up to all the things that we've talked about and, and, you know, again, like having ROs, I don't want it to be a self RO match. I want the shooters that are there to just focus on shooting and having a good time and being safe. You know, uh, I feel like anytime that shooters are put under unnecessary pressure or having to rush or, you know, RO your own stage and then help your partner out and then pick up brass and then do this, like before you know it, like. You're stressed out, forgetting about safety, you know, that's just not the avenue I want to go down. So yeah, of all the matches that I have shot, man, like the guardian, the guardian matches are the most like, it's a competitive event, but it's also not a competitive event, you know, like you are there for the kids. Yeah. So you're there to raise money for the kids and you are there to have a good time with your friends enjoying you know the shooting sports so like in my mind that that is the match where you should be relaxed like you should be stress-free you should not have any other responsibilities besides shooting like i don't think uh, a competitor should be touching a spotting scope a competitor should not be touching the scoreboard or the timer or any of that stuff like you're there have a good time with your friends and your family um, create good memories you know enjoy some good laughs and shoot some guns and if there was ever a match that should be like flooded with ROs, it's the guardian match. I agree. You know, so that's the goal is two ROs per stage minimum. And um, some other cool shit that I want to do, because it is just like you said, like you're there to have a good time. We want it to be a competitive challenge event, but we want it to be fun. So I want to try a few different things out. One, I'd like to see more youth shooters out there. I know that we got a couple signed up. Um, so what we're doing with the youth shooters, and I kind of took this from um, Dusty Brickshire down in mm -hmm. uh, uh, New Mexico, right? But during the, their NRL match, uh, youth shooters, you know, they had they were allowed to be in position when time started, and their okay. parent, their parent or anybody else was able to assist them in terms of like, here, let me help you move the rifle or um, you know, giving corrections, things of that nature, like making sure that the youth shooters are not only having a good time, but they're safe, they're successful. Um, so what I want to do is I want to increase their time. So, you know, there's not that many youth shooters that will be at this match. 
So it's not going to hurt the flow or change any of the outcomes if we allow you shooters to have an additional minute, right? For some of those kids, that's that's only one shot that they'll get to take, you know? So, yeah. Uh, so three-minute time limit for, uh, for you shooters. Same rules. They'll start in position. Their parent can help them. They can get spotting and corrections given to them. Um, and one cool thing that Dusty did was if – they run out of time, but they have a round in the chamber, then they will shoot that round and it will count for score if they hit. So we're going to keep that going. Um, you know, but we want to make it fun. So if you're a youth shooter, you know, make sure you're coming out and, uh, you know, trying this format. But here's another thing, Jeremy, you know, a lot of matches are offering mulligans these days, right? Yep. Okay. So this being a guardian match where things are fun, right? And some people like Mulligan, some people don't, right? I don't really care what your opinion is, but for this match, not only are we going to have Mulligans, but I want to try a little bit different concept. And, and I'm struggling right now to remember the name of the game show, but it was kind of like a trivia game show. They would ask you a question and you had different options. Like you could phone a friend or you could be given a hint. Oh yeah. Who wants to be a millionaire? There you go. Who wants to be a millionaire? So we're going to have mulligans and you're going to get probably three and each poker chip is going to be something different. So one will just ah. be a complete redo of the stage. Like I fucked that stage up and I want to redo it. The other mulligan will be like, well, I want, you know, a friend to help me. So if, if your friend can help you move your tripod or give you different gear or something like that on the clock, you're allowed to be assisted by a friend. Damn, okay. I like that idea. <laughs> and then the third one will be uh, you want to use your poker chip to get assistance from somebody spotting. You know, if, if it's a long distance stage or, you know, whatever the case is, you can use that chip and you can even use it in the middle of the stage. You can pull it out, throw it on the ground, say, I need spotting assistance. And now somebody can give you corrections on the clock, right? But you'll have different methods of trying to improve in this mulligan theory and it's kind of based off of who wants to be a millionaire type setup i like it dude very original i think it'll be fun man so i'm sure wraith came up with that idea actually dude let's not even go there man these are these are my fresh <laughs> ideas these are my fresh ideas <laughs> <laughs> You know, she's all up in that elr game right now she's trying to make I, everything prone and out the what is she doing i don't know i don't know she's uh She's trying to tear it up, though. You know, she's she's got a. You remember back when Owens Armor used to call their competition uh, "Sickness for a Distance." Yep, yep. I think that's what Ray has right now. She's got a sickness. Got in her head. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate they canceled the match, but uh, she was supposed to do that King of the Two Mile. She got invited after doing so well at a couple of the uh, ELR matches she went to. Um, Damn, good for her. I didn't know that. I haven't talked to her in a minute, so. Yeah, she's just a busy ELR shooter these days, man. So, but, uh, so that's the, that's the Guardian match. You know, if you guys are listening to this and you want to attend, there's still, um, I'm not 100% sure on the capacity right now. I know that there's up to 100 shooters. I believe they'll take more if we hit 100, but I've been hearing we're at 80%, we're at 90%, so not entirely sure but get signed up come to this match guaranteed to have a good time there's food there's friends 
There'll be a lot of cool stages. We're going to try and mix things up and, and do some things that not been seen before, uh, all in the name of good fun. So check out Guardian Long Range Matches. And uh, Jeremy, you'll be there as a competitor. Yep. Yep. I will be there as a shooter. So maybe I'll shoot the gas gun again, depending on how I do next week. There you go. And, uh, you know, that was that was kind of one of the things that I wanted to address. And I, I talked with Brittany McMillan. You know, she's a big part of the Guardian uh, a little bit when we were discussing kind of my takeover. Um, hey, I need to see what the stages are. Can you send me what targets we have available so I know what the what I can use, what I can't use, and, um, you know, our, what's our trophy situation looking like? And that was one of the things I wanted to add is, you know, let's have a gas gun, um, a gas gun trophy. If we get enough shooters shooting Ooh. a gas gun, then we should Ooh, have wow. a dedicated class for it. So I'm definitely shooting gas gun now. So yeah, man, it's, it's going to be a pretty awesome time. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to take the opportunity to do the match the way that you and I have always talked, you know, try and try and make things right. So, and you know, if it crashes and burns, I'm sure everybody will still have a good time, but come November, we'll just get to sit here and talk shit about me the whole time. No, no, no we'll talk shit about Ray. Blame her. There we go. We're blaming Ray. Blaming Ray. I like it. She's not here to defend herself, so guess what? It's her fault. That's right. That's right. So, uh, continuing on talking about some competitions, I did say that this weekend I'm going to put on a last-minute one-day match, which is going to be held on Sunday. And... Dude, I just want to run you through some of these stages. If any of you guys are listening, to me. coming to the match this weekend, all right, be on the lookout because I'm just out to do things that are a little bit different, right? I want it to be challenging. Everybody knows it's a fucking hard-ass match, right? 50% was the last winning score of this match. And before Ooh. that, Dane. Before, before that, Dane won with a 29% hit They're ratio. Oh my God. I remember that. That was yeah. fucking uh, miserable, Wendy. Sometimes I just can't control how the weather affects us out there, but I know it's going to be in the uh, mid to upper 80s. So it's going to be good weather, it's supposed to be sunshine. And I'm just, I'm ready. So the weather's starting to break. We get everybody to start coming back out to the range, hitting these matches up. But dude, the first stage I got is called Got Rooftops, right? And. Okay. The targets are not small for this one, okay? If you've got 66% IP6 at 400, 550, and 700 yards. You approach the rooftop from the rear, set your rifle down, and it's two rounds at each of those distances for a total of six shots, okay? Okay. Then you're going to climb to the forward slope of the roof, and... Now you're going to shoot four rounds at the 215-yard full IPSC target, right? And the gear allowed is only two bags and a sling, no bipods, no tripods. So you'll be on the Ooh. rear portion of the roof shooting, you know, like you normally shoot a rooftop. But now when you go to the front side, it's all unsupported or however you can twist and concoct your body to yeah. 15-yard full-size IPSC. So okay. I thought it'd be a pretty fun stage to, you know, I haven't seen anything like that done. I've seen us shoot off of the front side of rooftops with tripods, but I haven't seen any, hey, shoot this 200-yard target without uh, any extra additional support. Without a tripod. 
or a bipod. Exactly. Exactly. What a um, dick. I know. I know. You know, I'm just trying to mix it up, man. Anybody that comes to my match, you're going to get good practice at missing. So stage two is a mover stage. You know, we got the mover out there. We're going to kick it up and uh, get it moving this time. It'll be a 66% IPSC on the mover target, but the target is at 550 yards. Now we did include the formula so that each and every person can calculate what their lead should be at that distance based off the speed of our mover. All right. And it's just a 12 string, uh, 12 shot string, two minutes, right? As many hits as you can get in two minutes. Uh, you don't need mm -hmm. to rush it or anything like that. It's pretty straightforward. You're in the prone. How fast is it going? It's just under three miles an hour. It's about 2.8. So 1.6 mils, everybody. That's my guess. 1.6. For what caliber? all calibers bro <laughs> fuck it doesn't matter if you're shooting 223 6xc fuck a 28 nozzler 1.6 let it fly okay so maybe, maybe it'll work maybe it won't you're actually pretty fucking close <laughs> i did the math uh i did the math for a 6xc with a time of flight of 0. 0.7 seconds and uh the mill lead was 1.7 so you're only a tenth of a yeah, mill yeah. that's not that's a hit baby oh yeah that's a hit especially on a 66 percent ipsic so yeah i'm not shooting for center of the target i'm just shooting for the target for the ding yeah <laughs> um you know stage three is nothing crazy it's a long distance stage you got a thousand 1085 uh, 1200, 1340, 1790, just two rounds at each one, you know, nothing crazy, but it always seems like the long range stages, even though you're only shooting 10 shots and it's two rounds per target, just the time of flight and the comprehension of where it hit and what the correction is, seems like it's still such a struggle for people to finish in time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's something about that distance and the time it takes for all things to come together. It's just, you know. Well, let me give everybody or the, all the listeners a little hint, right? For some of you, this will be like, duh, but for others, maybe not. So uh, hopefully some people learn something on those long, long, long distance stages. If you do not want a timeout, the minute you break that shot, bolt up, eject that case forward and get ready to send a next round or your next round based on what you see through the scope from the previous round that you sent like when you're shooting out what's time of flight at 1780 almost uh, three seconds well i was gonna say for you know for my 6xc i'm, I'm damn near approaching four seconds yeah okay so four seconds is a lot of time for right. you to cycle that action and get ready to shoot again so let's say how, how many rounds? Oh, just two rounds, right? Two rounds at each target. Two rounds at so each. Let's say it's time of flight for the first target. It's like 1.2, 1 1.3. Yeah, you're shooting, you're shooting a fast, uh, fast caliber. You'd be there 1 1.3, 1 1.4. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's say 1.5. Okay. So if you are not cycling the bolt or at least on that target, like bolt up and back, you're wasting a second and a half of time. So now multiply that second and a half out by 10 targets. That's 15 seconds minimum, because as you go out, you're going to be wasting more time, right? So that's 15 seconds minimum of dead time that if you're not taking advantage of, like that's one minute or, or that two minute stage, 
is now a minute 45. Or if it's a minute and 45, it's now a minute and 30. So think of how many shots you could potentially get off with an extra 15 seconds of time at the end of the stage. And then give yourself that time by uh, taking advantage of the dead time while the bullet is in flight to the target. Yeah, I mean, not just that, but, you know, depending on how much time you waste cycling that bolt, getting back on target or, you know, whatever your process is. But if you're wasting time, you're also allowing the wind conditions to change to during change, the trip, yeah. you know, so you've got that thing to, to consider as well. Uh, you know, I've seen it before, especially at my place where somebody take a shot at a thousand yards, they see the impact, they cycle the bolt, they settle back down, they get stable, 10 seconds goes by, they shoot, they applied the correction, but now the wind died. So now they're on the opposite yep. side of the target, you know, yep. so, uh, things, things to take in, into consideration, no matter where you're at, my place or any other place, uh, you know, what's the time of flight and, and should you be cycling that bolt and getting ready? So uh, the answer stage, is yes, always. Yeah. So stage follow four, through. Who cares? <laughs> stage four, you're gonna love. All right. And I think you're gonna love it because I know you've been to a lot of training classes when it comes to anything, uh, precision rifle, carbine. Uh, you know, more of like a, a vehicle. Um, what's the right word? Like a uh, CQB vehicle course or, or whatever. Right? Yeah, CQB. But the name of the game, a lot, especially with military style stuff, you know, back when I was in, is, you know, if you engage from a certain position, you're now compromising that position, you know, and after a certain yep. time period, you need to fucking move. And then you take up a different position you engage and then you have to move, right? But you never want to go back to the same position. And uh, so this one all revolves around the car. It's a 12 point stage, but the round count is unlimited, right? The time limit okay. is two and a half minutes, okay? Oh, somebody's barrel gonna get hot AF. So shooter will start standing, mag in, all gear in hand, bolt back, right? Now, on the car, there are seven green spray-painted positions. You've got the trunk, you've got the hood, you've got the roof, and then you've got the driver and pass or, sorry, the, the passenger front and rear uh, windowsill, and then you've got yeah. the driver uh, front and rear windowsill, right? So you've got seven overall positions. Yeah. You, hopefully, will have chosen four of them, before time starts, right? And you'll kind of have a plan of how you're going to go from position to position to position, right? So from position one and three, you're gonna engage target one at 375. From position two and four, you're gonna engage target two at 550, right? So here's where it gets a little crazy. When time starts, every 30 seconds, you will be told to change positions from the stage RO. So whether you've engaged that target or you're in the middle of about to press that shot, you got to bolt up, move to the next position, and then engage that next target. And you have 30 seconds. And then bolt up, move to the next position. So every 30 seconds, you're being told to move and change positions, find another spot, right? So I think it's... uh, I think it's going to be interesting 
to see how fast people can get in position, get on target, and engage these, these targets. Now, if you get 12 hits and you only went through three positions, then your stage is over, right? 12, 12 rounds is the max points you can get. Uh, but it is an unlimited round stage. Every 30 seconds, you got to move, kind of simulating that you can't stay in that position. It's not safe to do so. So I like it. Uh, I like this stage. And I think if it does what I want it to do, what the intended purpose is, then when shooters are planning for this, they should be not only thinking about what four positions they want to go to, but what four positions are going to be the best for which target they have to shoot? You know, what, what position or what, what the position order are you going to want to move to, right? Are you going to go to, do you think moving from the trunk to the windowsill to the windowsill to the hood is the best option? Or is there a better option because of how the targets are situated on the mountain that we're shooting in, right? Each position will be Ooh. unique. And, um, what magnification should you be on you're you're you've been to my facility and we're shooting into that mountainside so it's a whole lot of sage everywhere there is just sage so if you get lost trying to find a target you're going to spend 30 seconds just trying to find that motherfucker and then you're going to get told you got to move you know so what magnification is the best magnification to be on and i see people that are afraid to take shots on 10 or 11 or even, you know, 12 power. It's like, calm down with that magnification shit. If you, I can count on one hand, the number of times I have shot over 12 power. I mean, uh, in all of the NRL matches this year. Yeah. I mean, you you just don't need that much. You should be comfortable shooting on a lower magnification. If you can read the hash marks, you can engage the target right you can do yep. your over you can make your wind corrections things of that nature so this is going to be a fun stage man and it's really i just i want to see people's brains fucking twisting and turning trying to figure out what positions are the best positions to you know check out this target that target you know like how many people will stick to their plan so it's going to be a cool stage and uh yeah all uh, right Ugh, I, I'll let you know how it goes. That might be one that we have to record so we can post it and kind of show the carnage, you know, to uh, to everybody. So um, another stage is just a tire stage, not not nothing crazy, you know. Shoot from three different tires at one target, two other tires at another target. Uh, pretty straightforward. And I got one here that is stage eight. All right. So stage eight is called, uh, let me get to it here. Where are you? Show us your breakfast. So when you hear that, what's the first thing that you think about? Throwing up. (laughs) So throwing up, right? (laughs) So the round count is 10. All right. You'll be at the bottom of a – now, I'm trying to think of how big that hill is. Mm, maybe 150 feet. That hill is 150 feet tall. Okay, So you'll be at the bottom of the hill. Start standing, mag in, bottom of the hill, all gear in hand. All right? At the buzzer, you're going to engage an IPSC target at 100 yards with two shots from any unsupported position that you want, standing, kneeling, seated, or prone. 
Uh, no bipods, right? So if you want to go all the way to the prone position to take this shot, that's on you, okay? 100 yards, full-size IPSC. This, this is a drop in the bucket. Then you will proceed to run up the hill to position one and engage the target at 360 yards with three shots. So throwing up is involved. <laughs> then you're going to have to move to an unsupported position of your choice, standing nearly seated prone, engage that same IPSC target at 100 yards with two shots, and then run your ass to position two, which is up the hill, and then engage the, you know, that target H at 360 yards with three more shots. So a nice. little bit of running, a little bit of heartbeat involved, right? See who can control their heartbeat, who's been working out, who had a donut, right? Who ate eggs? Okay. I'm sure we'll find out. But I wanted something different, man. I wanted to see some movement. I wanted to see some elevated heart rate stuff. You know, who's going to be able to control their, their, uh, you know, their, their, their ability to just function when they're put under that type of stress. And, you know, the timer provides one kind of stress, but then you start adding any type of elevated heart rate. And now you're just throwing yep. a another ball of wax in there. So, yep. But, uh, and uh, the final one, it's not anything crazy, but I decided to throw in a eight round stage where you're shooting from the top of the truck, right? So you're standing in the bed, rifles on the hood of the truck, and you're gonna shoot four rounds, two at one target, two at another target. Then you're gonna have to do a mag change. And you're gonna have to shoot with your non-dominant hand, eye and shoulder, at those same targets in reverse order, two shots each, right? The name of the stage is called, I guess I should have practiced, because that's what I hear the most of. Anytime people are forced to shoot with their non-dominant side is, fuck, I should practice that more. Yep. You are correct, and we're going to make sure that you remember that. So, But uh, that's kind of the match this weekend in a nutshell, man. And for it anybody- sounds like a good match, man. I'm, I'm, I'm bummed yet again bummed that i will not be able to come out and shoot your match my bad we're gonna do them every month going here on out but uh it's gonna be a good time and uh you know for anybody that doesn't know the matches aren't just for competition and you know they're there to challenge you they're there to push your limits a little bit make you miss make you have to spot and make corrections but at the same time like the match the the safety brief starts at 8 a.m so at 8 a.m., you get the safety brief, and then there's a whole hour of, is your dope correct? Like, you you get to practice any position, any stage that you want. You have the match booklet. If you want to go practice the mover, it'll be on. If you want to check your leads, you can do that. You want to make sure your dope out to a mile is correct. Like, you can do all of these things in that one hour of preparatory time. And then we have the competition. And then once the competition's over, we have roughly a two-hour practice session, which I like to think of as, like, I totally fucked up on this stage, and I need to go back and figure out why I fucked up and how I'm going to fix it, right? So you get a chance to go back and practice some of these positions. And so for everybody out there that hasn't been to our match, it's not only a competition, but it is a training day. So, you know, make sure you come out here for something other than just to get your ass beat at our range. But uh, outside of that, man, um, 
you know, that's really all I got for matches. And I think we talked about three really cool things that are going on, the desert, um, the desert duel this weekend, the guardian match, and then the Utah match that you're going to go to and come back and let us know how that gas gun uh, performed for you. I think you'll do well, man, mm -hmm. especially since you're going in with, you know, kind of the attitude of like, what is going to happen is going to happen. I'm just going to enjoy it. So that's always yep. the best yep. way but, you know, and if I shoot like shit, I'll have all my friends there to make fun of me. So it will be glorious. Exactly. Exactly. So the final thing that we want to talk about is the supported positions. You know, so for anybody that not sure what the hell I'm talking about, supported position is rifle supported by some type of object. It could be a wooden two by four. It could be a tire. It could be anything, right? You're off the prone. You're up off the ground. And in previous issues, we've talked about the nine principles that we preach and we try to push to our students in terms of every position that you find yourself in. You're looking to achieve these principles. Now, I'm not going to go into in-depth detail with every single one of them, right? but you've got your bone support, you've got your muscle relaxation, you've got your natural point of aim. And I can't stress how important that natural point of aim is, right? Uh, but then other things to consider, like your soft on hard contact. Do you have a bag underneath the rifle between the rifle and the barricade, right? Are you supporting that rear elbow? That rear elbow, when you're on a supported position, is controlling the rifle for the most part. So building your bone support underneath that elbow is critical, right? And then you have maximized contact with the ground, meaning your body, and then maximize contact with the support. And this is twofold. It's the rifle and it's your body, right? If I can get an elbow on the support, right? The support's stable. It's more stable than my wobbly body is. So getting an elbow on that support and, uh, you know, or, my body up against it, which would be more of an engaged vertical support, right? So you've got these principles that you're operating and you're trying to live inside of, and then you've got balance, right? Balancing the rifle. And I hear a lot of people ask me, like, why do you want the rifle to be balanced? It's very, very simple. You're trying to achieve balance with the rifle so that there is less influence required from you. I'm not saying that you're not going to be taking up recoil or that you're not going to have your shoulder on the gun. I am not a free recoil type of guy, but if the rifle is balanced and there's less influence required from the shooter and therefore more stability. So you got those nine principles that you got to think about. And, you know, when it comes down to it, you're not always going to always accomplish all of them. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So there's a lot of give and take when it comes to understanding those principles, right? We preach how many times have you heard different classes, different instructors talk about your body's got to be straight behind the rifle because you want to take up that recoil. You want it to be an even dispersion of that energy. If you, you know, if you've listened to, to me talk, right, if you shoot and you watch, where does that reticle jump? right, left, up, down, you are being shown where the path of least resistance is and how your body alignment is off, right? Yep. But that is for the prone position. 
there are all kinds of supportive positions that we find ourselves in where our body gets twisted. Our shoulders aren't in line with the rifle anymore. And is it a bad thing? Well, I guess it really depends because if I know that my body is off alignment, but I'm doing other principles, such as one of the things I want to bring up is what the fuck do you do with your left hand or with your non-firing hand? And you'll see a lot of people where their left hand is using, is being used to control the rifle, right? If your body's off alignment, then when that rifle recoils, it's going to hit your body at an angle. The muzzle is going to want to jump off target, right? You could influence the round downrange because you are experiencing recoil before that bullet ever exits the barrel. So all of these factors being considered, that left hand, if my body is off alignment, Jeremy, but my left hand is, let's say my left elbow, as a right-handed shooter, my left elbow is contacting the barricade, so I've got that stability built in, and then my left hand is holding the forearm or gripping the foregrip or whatever it is, I'm controlling that muzzle. So even though I'm off alignment, I'm controlling the muzzle and I'm reducing felt recoil, and I'm staying on target off to the shot, then I took my bad body position and I compensated using a different method. Does that make sense? Yep. But I understood why I was doing it, right? So there's all of these principles that we try to follow, but if you can understand what those principles are and, and how a certain position might force you to break a rule or break a principle, what can you do to compensate? What, that given that take. Well, I've got a shitty position, but I'm doing this to compensate for the shitty position, and it's helping me, right? I'm controlling recoil. I'm staying on target. I'm, you know, reducing these negative effects with a positive, um, you know. So, as far as that left hand is concerned, and this, um, this is not a new concept. I just, I'm be interested to hear it, what you've heard about it, Jeremy, or how it's been maybe relayed to you or how, you know, if you've heard it described a different way, but we talk about in our supportive position class that that non-firing hand for any type of supportive position, it needs to be one, put to work, but two, you want to use it to control the muzzle, right? Control the rifle, help stabilize if possible, help minimize muzzle rise, minimize felt recoil. And at the same time, if you think about when you're laying in the prone position and your non-firing hand is controlling your rear bag, you're supposed to be firing on the exhale, right? Natural respiratory pause. So you inhale, you exhale, and you've got a three to six second window where everything is still and calm, right? Now you want to have that good natural point of aim, but there's still small final minute adjustments that are taking place during that three to six second window with your non-firing hand. Very small. I'm talking fractions of movement just to get that exact perfect aiming spot that you've been looking for. Now the same thing is true for a supportive position. I got my left hand up on that foregrip. I've got control. Maybe I'm shooting from some type of wooden structure or a tank trap or whatever it is. So not only is my left hand controlling 
the forearm of the rifle, but it's also grabbing my bag, right? So I'm locking the rifle and the bag together. Now, when I exhale and I'm aiming at my target, I might have a little bit of instability, but I'm using that left hand for those small micro adjustments, right? Any major adjustments is gonna be with my body. I either need to move my hips left or right or forward or back to make up and down changes, but those small micro adjustments are being done with that left hand in terms of squeezing or manipulation. What have you heard? What, what do you practice or put into play? Um, well, in my mind, there's, there's basically like two types of, of supported shooting, right? So there's the, uh, like open freestyle supported shooting where you have enough room behind uh, barricade prop man-made, you know, uh, natural terrain or whatever to where you can achieve, um, a good NPA. Yep. And, and at that point, um, at that point, you know, I'm looking to maximize contact, just like you said, like with non-firing hand between uh, whatever it is that I'm using as support, the bag and the rifle. I like to go like up over the scope and try to put like slight downward pressure onto everything to kind of um, uh, compact uh, or compress that stack of equipment. Yeah. Um, but I'm not using the support hand to really drive or influence the gun to improve or modify my sight picture. Okay. But when you get into those fucked up positions where you're not going to achieve NPA, then like at that point, I kind of switch into um, like drive the gun mode. Yeah. And what I mean by drive the gun mode is my support hand um, is now going to provide my recoil control not necessarily um yeah i guess recoil control would still be an accurate uh, accurate term but basically i i want to catch that gun in recoil because i know it's going to move i don't have good mpa i don't have um a whole lot of ass behind the gun to counteract that recoil and keep the gun in place so yeah. i'm going to use my support hand to keep that gun in place after i have pulled the trigger and i'm going to drive the side picture with my firing hand and, you know, you switch from NPA shooting where you are using your entire body position to make uh, those sight, sight picture adjustments. If you don't have good NPA, you know, and you can't do that, then you've got to use some other method. So I'm going to drive the gun with my firing hand, and I'm going to control that recoil with my support hand. Yeah, no, and I mean, that's, that's, that's how I roll. It sounds like we're both using a very similar method in terms of the support hand and what its function is. And, uh, you know, it really all comes down to that recoil management. And, you know, you can have natural point of aim and body alignment still be off. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody thinks that your body being directly behind the rifle perpendicular 90 degrees that it is an automatic uh, correlation to natural point of aim but in reality i mean you can be behind the rifle your body could be off alignment there's still a natural point of aim to that rifle you know what i'm saying like yeah. and the biggest difference is having that body behind the rifle in a perpendicular fashion 
is because you're trying to absorb recoil evenly, right? And it's important that we don't get the two things confused, natural point of aim and then having our body behind the rifle. Sometimes they're related and other times you could still have natural point of aim and your body not be aligned properly. So you have to kind of look at the difference between both of them. Uh, I know there's plenty of times and maybe you have seen or felt the same thing, Jeremy, but I could be behind the rifle. Let's say we're shooting from a PRS barricade. So rifle set on the, the bottom level. I'm in a kneeling position. I'm trying to get my left arm, my left hand up on that barricade, touching the barricade in some fashion to provide some stability. Well, I'm a short fucking guy. So for my no. arm, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm all, I'm all tall and shit, but for my arm to touch that barricade, my body is going to be twisted, right? My shoulders will not be a perfect per perpendicular um, alignment to that rifle. Now, when I settle down into my kneeling position, even though my shoulders are off alignment, I'm not perpendicular to that rifle, there is a natural point of aim based off of how my body is settled and how that rifle is contacting my body. Would you agree? Yep. Yep. So I have a natural point of aim. It might not be a perfect body alignment natural point of aim, but I do have a natural point of aim. And because I know I have that, fucked up position right i'm using a alternate method just like you were talking about whether it's applying downward pressure on the scope or it's controlling that handguard and using my my firing hand on that pistol grip but there's different methods that we're we're attempting to utilize to control recoil because that's really where that body alignment is coming down to its importance is can you have a consistent recoil management you know so yep agree 100 percent. i think we're we're both speaking the same language and we just have slightly different methods um the reason i say slightly different methods is because i've not really been a huge fan of um like hand over the scope kind of pressing down and it's not because you know i've heard people say that they're, they've had impact shifts, and I've not seen a single impact shift with any of the good equipment that we use employing that method of, of you know, putting hand on the top of the scope and pressing down. Uh, my biggest thing is my body's just not built in a way that that makes it comfortable for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Forearms are too short. I got these T-Rex arms. It just doesn't work out that way. And, you know, for somebody like you, it works well. I've seen other people, Jake Bibbert, I've seen him do it. It works well for him. Um, you know, I think that brings up something pretty, now I don't want to say lost, but it's often not, not thought of. When somebody sees you do something, they're like, oh, I want to try that, right? And if it doesn't work, then they instantly say that it sucks. Um, and if it does work, then they just keep doing it, but they never really understand the why, right? Yep. There's always this underlying thing of, well, why the fuck are you doing that, right? Do you understand why you're doing it? And if you did, then you would know that there's many ways to achieve that same thing, but you've got to understand how your body fits into this equation. How can you achieve the same thing, right? And not just watch what other people do and try to replicate it, right? That's a huge 
huge red flag if you can't understand why you're why you're doing something a certain way right so but uh uh that was really what i wanted to cover in terms of the supportive positions kind of what to do with that non-firing hand i did want to bring up some gear and some bags i know we we talk about gear a lot and i like the different bags out there they provide a different perspective you're a big fan of that tricorn and i'm a big fan of the schmedium game changer i like the fill i like the weight whatever the fuck is in on the inside i like it uh, it's heavy it provides really good absorption of recoil energy but to each their own i mean they all have their place and if you practice with it enough you're going to get good at using it and understanding the the upsides and the downsides and all that shit, you know, like yep. further is ways that you've used that tricorn that I have not even considered at this point. Cause I don't use it like you do, you know, just it's, it's a secondary bag to me. Um, but I have seen shooters attempt to use the fat bags. I, the fat bag is a Armageddon gear uh, term, right? Uh, yes. Yep. What are the Coltac bags? The pump pillows, you know. Um, pump pillows isn't that wee bad? Isn't wee bad do? Think it's so. Pump pillow. Wee bad is a Let pump me... pillow. And uh, you uh, know, cuddle bag. I think Coltac calls it the cuddle bag. Coltac's got the cuddle bag, you know. So. All of these different names, they're all the same fucking bags. They're a light fill, and they're different sizes. You have large, extra large, you have medium, but these bags are designed to fill gaps. I mean, have you used it for anything else, Jeremy? No. So you fill spaces, you fill gaps, you fill holes in your position to create that bone support all contacting the ground right building from the ground up trying to build this best position you can right um but i've seen shooters try to shoot from them like rifle resting on a medium fat bag from armageddon gear and i can tell you they're not typically very successful because these bags when you compress them right when you put weight on them they kind of tighten up they become very hard and almost rolly poly-ish, yep. you know? It's like shooting off a fucking balloon. <laughs> you know, and I just, sometimes, uh, you know, regardless of what you do, uh, if you're just helping a friend out, if you're an instructor of some kind, whether it's for your own company or if it's law enforcement, you know, sometimes the best lessons are where you allow a shooter to do what they're doing and then correct it afterwards so that they yep. can see and not just be told, right? There's a lot of experience built lessons. And, uh, you know, that's one of those is, and if you've not shot off of it before, then it's no different than trying out all of your gear. I mean, using a game changer for a rear bag, using a, a tricorn as a rear bag, or as a front support, using a, a medium fat bag from armageddon gear to try and uh, support your rifle on all of these things should be tried to see what you like what you don't like what is the limitation of your gear all of that shit right there used to be 
remember the fucking drill that we that we ran. I think this was last year, dude. Back when, oh, Coltec just released their tricorn bag. I believe. I believe this is the right time frame. And Ray and I were out at the range, and we had the rooftop set up, and she wanted to she wanted to change the fill of her tricorn bag. She she got the that ultra light shit that was uh, supposed to be the bee's knees or something like that. And yeah, the get light or whatever it was. Yeah. Something like that. Right. She's like, Oh, you know, I want to, I want to change the fill out. And she had the heavy fill and I really liked the heavy fill. I was like, that shit is good. She's like, Oh, it's too heavy for me. Like I, I want it lighter. So she dumps the heavy fill. She puts the light, get light stuff in there. Right. And then she proceeds to try and run the drill. And she had just run the drill with the heavy bag. Now, was she faster with the get light material on the inside? Absolutely. She didn't struggle moving that bag around, right, as a female. But she was not as stable. Her hit percentage was 50%. Even though she was moving faster, she was not as stable. And her hit percentage went down because that that fill had just made everything so much more unstable but yep. you know was it her shooting was it her rifle setup you know was it the fill material maybe there's somebody out there who has that fill material and really likes to shoot off it like i'm not going to tell you it's a fucked up method but what i am saying is that you should go and try it right and that was the whole purpose of that exercise was to try the different fills and you know what She's running that heavy shit again because of that testing method, right? Trying to go through your gear and find limitations and shit like that. Um, you know, so you got anything to add on that? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but we all have. No, I mean, I, you need to you need to experiment with your stuff. Um, think about how to use your gear unconventionally. So to go back to those big ass bags, right? I have one of the Coltac uh, mega bags, right? Like the biggest fucking bag out there. And I had him sew the straps on for the backbone frame. Now, nice, am, dude. <laughs> am I going to put that thing onto the backbone and use it regularly? Hell no. No. But, you know, like 99 times out of 100, that's not going to be the right bag for front support. But I might come across a situation, that one in 100 situation where, it is the right choice. And when I do encounter that situation, I want to be able to make the right choice. But the only way I will know that that is the right choice is if I practice that technique beforehand. Yeah. No, that's pretty, uh, I mean, that's pretty try, try your stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty slick. Um, try your stuff. And, you know, I hear people talk all the time, like, they don't have a place to practice or, you know, there's just not ranges available. I hear the same stuff all the time. And what you should be doing is one should be trying this stuff at home, dry fire at home, try your gear at home, try it in the living room, try it in the backyard, try it wherever you have access to at your house with unloaded firearm. But then these monthly matches, guys, these monthly matches are designed to help you practice, to try that new gear. Like, you know, you shouldn't go to a monthly match and say, well, I haven't, I haven't tried this bag out too much, so I don't want to try it here. Like, why not? 
That's what it's for. It's a monthly match to practice, you know, like that's what I love about being around all of the Sin City Precision guys. You know, you, Jared, is, you know, I don't want to say every match, but a lot of the matches are practice sessions. Like, hey, this this match is a one-bag match. Why? Because a lot of the Sin City crew are headed to this big-time national-level match, and it's a one-bag match. So we're all here to practice. Or tripods are going to be deployed from a collapsed position because this match is coming up. You know, like every match seems to have some type of different form of practice so yep. that club as a whole is getting better. You know, we're trying different things. And if you're not willingly trying it, well, then the match director is going to force you to try it. Right. So that we yep. all continually get better. So damn you, Jared. I know. Right. Use these monthly matches as your practice sessions. Guys can't stress it enough. But anyways, man, we've been talking about some good shit and me and you have been known to get off on tangents and just fucking go, go, go all night. But I am currently building a land navigation course out at my facility. Uh, Ah, cool. Yeah, so we can do some map and compass shit and and get some of those type of classes going. Uh, So I have never done anything like that ever. Well, so I will def- I will have to come out and learn from the master. You definitely are gonna have to come out and get some fucking uh, get some training on, dude. Which reminds me, obviously I did not win the sniper adventure challenge, which means I have to fucking go back next year, right? I am just ah, uh, what a bummer. I know, man. Uh, but Vanessa has shown an interest in wanting to do this, and guess oh. Guess who her new partner is? Not fucking me. I promise you that. Well, it's not me either. It is Mr. Jared Flanagan. Really? Oh, yes. Jared has awesome. that, uh, you know, he told me a couple years ago he wanted to do it for, I believe, his 50th birthday. Things didn't work out. He didn't end up getting it done. But now he's got a whole year to prepare building this land nav course we're going to get him vanessa we'll get you you know anybody else that wants to come out and learn how to do map and compass work but um right now we have uh seven square miles mapped out with 70 different land navigation points so you have a really large area and it's set up so that you could walk it on foot you could drive it if you're a law enforcement or military. You've got the side-by-sides, the dirt bikes. be able to drive the course and, uh, you know, get to a certain, like, known intersection and then walk the remaining two or 300 meters to find the point. But, dude, this land navigation course is going to be awesome. And I can't wait to get you guys out there. And I really can't wait to start seeing Vanessa and Jared train for this fucking competition next year. So, Man, that is awesome, dude. I am super excited. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, just every time I see Jared, I'm like, how's it going, man? How's that training? You know? so I can- Dude, if you ask me like, hey, Jeremy, who do you think of all the shooters that you uh, hang out with would be the most uh, prepared to do this? It would be Jared. Oh. Got to be Jared. Dude, I tell everybody so. that I talk about, anybody that I talk about to 
regarding Jared, I'm like, that's the most interesting man in the world right there. I mean, yeah, right. Is he not? He's literally <laughs> fucking done everything. I know, man. The dude's lived more lives than you would think he's old enough to have lived. So, so man, like the day before I retire, I'm going to run that man. <laughs> uh, I'm going to run a criminal history on him because he has got to have been arrested in multiple states multiple times like yeah. and i'm gonna find out everything that he's done <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah all right well anyways man i gotta catch some z's i know you got you got some work to do get uh get up early shit like that but as always pleasure talking to you we got to get together next yep. week i wish you good luck this weekend in utah burn it down man and thanks dude i appreciate that you know just fucking leave it all out there so Everybody else, appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for the support. If you've got any questions, topics you want us to talk about, you can hit myself up at MaxLimit on Instagram, Facebook. You can hit up Jeremy at Jeremy Ty, or he also runs the Sin City Precision page on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can reach out to us via email, Tyler at MaxLimit.com. And you know, give us if you got things you want to hear, you got feedback, you got anything. If the audio still sucks, like let me know, and uh, you know we'll do our best to, to either fit your questions in or you know fix whatever the fuck we got going wrong. But again, appreciate everybody listening. Thank you guys. Until next week, this is Tyler and Jeremy, and we're out of here. See you.